Welcome to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of identity and healing with your host, Dr. Laura Polak, a somatic healer and chiropractor. Let's join the podcast. Welcome to the Queer Body. I have a really wonderful yoga teacher with us today named Skeeter. And we are requesting that if you are enjoying the show, that you subscribe to the show so that you know when new episodes come out. Skeeter, will you please introduce yourself to our audience? Yes. Hi. Hi, my name is Skeeter, Skeeter Barker. I teach yoga, although I more say I guide yoga because um, I think everybody has a, you know, an own, their own sense of their bodies. So I've been doing it for a long time, probably about, stop counting, but maybe about 20 years now. So yeah. And it seems like you don't just teach yoga, you teach yoga as an all-inclusive yoga. How would you describe what kind of yoga you do? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, when I first started practicing yoga, I was in lots of classes where I was the sort of weird, hairy leg tattooed MOC in the back. Um, And I, I felt for myself that I knew that this was a good practice for me, so I kept going, but it was difficult. It was difficult to be in a room where you didn't feel your own body was sort of, you know, people weren't comfortable necessarily. And so when I started taking teacher training, it was very much for me to learn more. But as I became aware and my teacher made me aware that it was important for bodies and people like me to stand up in front of a room of students and teach, um, I very much made a commitment that it would always be financially accessible, sliding scale, pay what you want. Um, it would always be all levels. So come in, lay down on the mat if that's what you're doing or you know, expand, modify. And that every body was welcome. And I do believe everybody can do yoga on some level. So that is my joy to encourage that and to sort of uh, create a high hope and environment where that is something people feel. Wonderful. And, you know, I would love to talk more about everybody and yoga, but let's back up and talk about what is yoga? What is your practice of yoga? And what does it mean to practice yoga? Yeah, I mean, that is such a, you know, a good question and such a layered question because obviously, you know, there are many, many places in the West where yoga, the practice, the the language of it, the the look of it has been appropriated into Western culture in a way that it, a lot of the, the meanings have gotten lost or they've been shifted into gyms and workouts and Lululemon clothes or, you know, sort of trance dancing with bindis on your head, knowing nothing about the origins of it. And so I think that for me, Practicing yoga with a deep bow to the lineage of where it comes from, who were the teachers, but also needing and wanting to incorporate it into our lives as we understand it. Um, And for me, it's not so much, it never has been, about what position or shape you can get your body into, but more about what position and shape your body wants to be in. And therefore, you know, yoga practice, I, I, my training was in Anusara, which is deeply linked to Iyengar. Um, and it's very much about alignment, both physically and spiritually. And so always for me, the base has been, how do you feel right now in this pose? How do you feel right now in this body? Where's your breath? And I think that we have to honor the lineage. And we also have to acknowledge that there are ways in which we can incorporate into our lives, into our bodies, respectfully and kindly to ourselves and our lives. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate that. And I also, you know, as a, I have studied yoga as a student 
over, oh gosh, 20 years myself. And there are so many different styles. There's Kundalini, there's Iyengar, there's Satnam Yoga. And for, you know, from a lay person's perspective, it, it is a little bit hard to disassociate it from how westernized it's become. We mm-hmm. have these yoga magazines full of white women who are really skinny mm-hmm. in these bendable poses. Can you speak to what it is you're hoping to create with people on the mat so that people who maybe wouldn't choose yoga because, you know, it's been a little bit whitewashed and the standard of understanding of what yoga is would feel invited to join you or other people on the mat? Yeah, absolutely. I I would say it's been incredibly whitewashed. And I think that not only that, but the way that we do it in the West is to push it forward like some another form of workout where it's almost a punishing thing. Right. And I feel like, you know, there are, as you said, many, many styles of yoga or the origin of all of those coming from a particular teacher or lineage, um, some of them very, very old, some of them sort of newer. And I think that there is many, the way I describe it is there are as many sort of types of yoga as there are types of dancing. And right. so if, if you, you know, I went to a tango class once and I'm like, yep, yeah, that's not for me, but it doesn't mean that I don't like dancing. So I think it's the different styles um, are taught, again, for stages in our life. Like Ayengo was a teacher who was, he had a lot of disability, he had a car crash, he he really needed to use and create a yoga that was very prop heavy and alignment heavy, whereas um, Astanga was a young gymnast guy. And so I think that there are yoga practices that suit different parts of our bodies, different seasons of our lives. And depending on what we're going through, you know, you, you're you not going to sort of necessarily have all the energy to be jumping around and doing really hardcore sweating yoga if you're deeply in a place of grief or deeply in a place of recovery in your body. So I do think it is something that people can, I believe, there's a form, there's a teacher, there's a practice that really can benefit everybody, but they're very, very different and varied. And so it does take a lot on the part of a student to inquire, to ask, to try to, you know, sort of check it out if they can find something that is for them. For me, it's never about forcing anything. Even when you decide to come to your mat and come to a class or or do a class online or just put your mat down yourself. For me, the very first part is to sit with yourself in the breath and just be like, what is it I need? How can I wrap the practice around myself in this moment and not kind of twist myself into a practice that I think I should be doing. And often with teachers, you know, there's a way in which we, there's a discipline to it. And I get that. I get that teachers are wanting to sort of help us discipline the practice, the breath, the body and tune it. And that is important. But if we're going against our own permission and we're going, you know, sort of all in the room. And again, this is a very Western idea. We're all in a room together doing the same poses at the same time yoga was never really developed like that. It was developed between a teacher and a student according to what that student needed. So the idea of even doing big group classes where we all do the same thing and you feel bad if you're not keeping up or doing the same pose to me seems counterintuitive to what I believe yoga can bring into our lives, which is why I greatly encourage really knowing what you need in practice, whatever it is I'm saying or anyone else is doing. Um, I fully encourage that. It's a really wonderful point because I think that in my practice, of, in my chiropractic practice and in practices in working with other people, I think that's not actually such an easy 
thing for people to do in general is knowing what they need. So mm-hmm. when you are beginning with somebody and you're saying, well, pull out a mat and sit with yourself, like, how would you encourage or bridge someone who, you know, like if I'm not a flexible person and what I see in yoga is somebody being able to bend themselves into pretzel-like poses, why would I even want to try it? Right. I mean, I think that's that therein lies the problem is that what often our first view of yoga is, is from, you're like a lot in the West, right? It's like the advertisements, the posters, the online, you know, sort of what we're seeing is pretzel poses, often skinny white women, you know, um, in perfect expensive Lululemon clothes. And, you know, I think that we, it's like, oh, well, that's what yoga is. And I think whenever somebody encounters a different kind of practice, um, it's like, oh, maybe there is a way I can find, you know, sort of a place here. And I definitely defer to the expert in anyone's own experience in any moment. So when when people come to a class that I'm guiding, I I use words to hopefully encourage that. Like, how are you feeling in this moment? Mm-hmm. If you feel interested, reach your arm down to the floor or up to the sky. If that doesn't feel good, put your back knee down. Like, how is that? Where is your breath? And I often will refer to like, what's your face doing right now? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if your teeth are gripping and your face is sort of scrunched up, the chances are that you, you're not in a place where you and your body want to be. Yeah, you're not listening to yourself. So you're helping people even just reflect that maybe gritting teeth and Mm -hmm. scrunchy face is not really listening to yourself well at all. Exactly, exactly. And I think that it's what you said is is absolutely correct for a lot of us coming into forms of practice, you know, whether they're de-stressing practices, meditation practices, health practices, moving practices. You know, a lot of us are not coming from backgrounds and environments uh, or communities where we are, we have been encouraged, especially I think often, you know, women, I think we are, well, I shouldn't even say because I'm raising a 13 year old boy. And I think there's ways in which so many people are forced into sort of boxes of what they should be. And I think that how do you then get to a point, you know, when you're, you're an adult all taking care of yourself to go, oh, I'm really clear about what I know. I'm going to sit down this mat and I'm going to make a choice about it is hard. And, and I think that expectation, even you have to sort of loosen the edges of that and just sit down or lie down and see, just feel like, like I, I often, one of the practices for me is to just lay down and see what color is flooding through my body. Like mm. just close my eyes and see color, not sort of names and sensations, but like, you know, is there a blue or a red or, you know, my hip feels really red right now, which means I'm, am I feeling pain there? And I think that it's, it's, it's called a practice for a reason. We, everything we practice, we get good at, right? So we practice stress, we get good at stress. We practice breath, we get good at breathing. You know, my son practicing basketball, he's getting better at basketball. So I think that it's called a practice for a reason. You come to your mat and the discipline is coming, is arriving to your mat. That's the discipline right there. And then from that place, practicing paying attention practicing softening the edges of gripping and teeth clenching and shoulds and shouldn'ts and really just feel into the moves the body you know where it is the breath is where you're residing in the moment is it in your shoulder is it in your you know in your hip where where is it it's basically like we're a little petri dish that we're sort of exploring with a curiosity and hopefully um, cultivating that compassion and patience for ourselves it's just such a needed practice in our society because mostly in a in American society at any rate, 
the push to produce, to do more, to keep moving, to get it done is huge. And we just disassociate from our bodies. So to even take a minute and be on the mat mm-hmm. and go, what color is this? What am I feeling here? What am I feeling there? Even if we don't move, that itself is such an incredible practice of, of wow, this body is speaking to me. What is it saying? Mm-hmm. I really like that. And also, I mean, I'm totally going to acknowledge, I mean, it's, it's an absolute privilege to have time, to have a space to put your mat down, to have a mat. Yes. And also to have a body that you, you know, can take time with and, and, and not be in a place of so much pain or grief that you can even settle down into lying or sitting, which is, is why I always encourage. And Zoom's been really interesting and good for this because when I first started doing Zoom when the pandemic hit, I could not. I was like, I am a somatic teacher. I'm in the room with people. I feel the room. I see people. I encourage modifications or I an assist here and there. And we got onto Zoom and I was like, I, I don't like computers. I'm staring at a screen. How do I do this? But one of the things that's become very interesting to me is that it's given a lot of people that deep permission because you can have your camera on or off. And I'm like, and if you're laying on your ground or laying on your bed or sitting on your couch with a cup of tea, it's still a practice. Sit there, close your eyes, breathe into it, listen to my voice. Any part of this that you want to you know, feel into is the practice. And so I do think it's given people permission to be not in a room full of people because we're humans. And as much as we're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to give myself permission. But there's peer pressure. There's feeling embarrassed. There's feeling conscious of yourself. And it's very, very hard for anyone to stand in front of a room and say, don't worry about that. Just do your practice. So there's there are some benefits to Zoom and to being in your own home, I think, that people have found. Let me ask you about that, because I do have people in our community who are differently abled, who mm-hmm. are not able to show up on a mat in a conventional manner, mm-hmm. and are looking for ways to move their bodies, but need to start really slowly. Is your Zoom class a way that, like, does your class invite people who are in different bodies who maybe are not physically able in the standard manner? Yes. I mean, I always want to say yes to that question. And I can say, absolutely. You know, I offer, you know, constantly offering voice reminders about, and if you're not choosing to do that and laying down or or, or sitting down, just think into it, breathe into it, like imagine your arm lifting. However, it's all well and good for me to say that. Do people feel that invitation? I hope so. I've had some reflection back that that is true, but I would, I would invite wholeheartedly um, if people are interested to give it a go, to come and, and see what it's like. Like I said, camera can be off or on. One of the things I love about the community that has formed around this yoga with me and for me and by me and by us all is that I love my students because, you know, like we're doing yoga in the park once a month now here in Oakland. And it's so amazing to see because I've been repeating the same message for so long now that I see people fully like, great, yep, I'm coming to the park. I have a, I have a person that comes to the park and they come 20 minutes before the end of the class, put down their mat and they're there for Shavasana. Mm. And I think that there's such a reflection when you look at the class. Not everybody's doing the same thing. Somebody's doing something completely different over there. Somebody's laying down over there. And when you see that and when you do that, you never know when you go down into a child's pose or you're laying down, 
what inspiration you're giving someone else who's like, oh, I could, oh, you know, I could do that. And so I love my students for that because I love that sort of fierce independence and fierce like, I'm going to make my own choices and this is a space I can do that in. You know, obviously the park isn't accessible to everybody. Yoga studios certainly for many reasons are not accessible to everybody. So in some ways, if you can come to a Zoom class in your own home with all the things you need around you and be part of a class and be part of a practice that you can choose, I hope that is really felt because that is my invitation and that is my absolute intention behind what I do. Well, I would love to speak to you a little bit more about that because, um, you know, I will mention everybody seems to be doing yoga with Adrian. She got super mm-hmm, mm-hmm. popular during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so what would be the difference of me doing yoga with Adrian in my own mat at home and going to a class with you? I mean, it's a great question. And, and I've always said that in any type of activity or thing or practice, we're always going to find our teachers and they're always going to be, hopefully it'll always change and shift as we grow. Like I think getting stuck with a teacher or feeling like you can't do this practice without this teacher. I think that one of the things is to sort of got my intention is to guide people's independence to find this practice. I love it that people come to my class. I love being part of that with them, but you know, for us to find our own practice is I think essential. And I think that I, I wouldn't necessarily want to say, the difference. I mean, Adrian is great. And I think that people did find a lot of joy. The way she started her classes and the way she introduced them, you know, with their dog there and with this sort of easy in, it was beautiful. And I think that there was a lot of ways in which people could access it. But then as she moved through the practice and the weeks went on, it did get to a spot where maybe people who didn't quite have, you know, all the physical accessibility or all the even desire to go you know into harder poses or faster poses I, I think that there might have been a place where people sort of gave up or stopped and then you just you feel bad right you feel like oh yeah I didn't finish the however many weeks um and for me it's always about just coming back just coming back and you know I do think that there was a place where she also because you're watching it on YouTube and you're, you're you know you're off camera and she offered lots of opportunities. So I think there's a lot of similarities, but I think, yeah, I think hopefully I do a real deep dive on permission in the body. Like if you were to be on the mat today, Laura, I mean, like, what is it you're working with today? What is it you need? It might be like, yeah, I really need to like move my body. And then tomorrow it could be like, I, I am deeply, deeply needing to rest. So even coming to a class every week at the same time, everything about who you are is shifting all the time. And so I think that it's just, if you can learn that for yourself, you can go to any class and any teacher because you can do whatever it is you need to do. I think that's wonderful. But the, you know, the point of having you on the queer body is really that you identify as queer Mm -hmm. and it appears, I don't know if this is true or not, you can speak to this, that you have a queer group of people showing up to your retreats, to your park class that I had the privilege of going to last Oh, gosh, I guess a month and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. And I will say just, you know, for people who don't know, that I showed up there and there were all body types, small, mm-hmm. big, young, old. Mm-hmm. There, I didn't see any kids, but um, occasionally people, there are. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, people from all different skin colors. I mostly saw able-bodied people visually, yes. but, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about not visually. Mm-hmm. 
the reason I wanted you on this podcast versus Adrian, for instance, is that it appears that you're making it accessible to a lot more walks of life. You know, the thing about yoga with Adrian, which I in fact love personally, she is a skinny white person that, you know, I will never hope to look like her. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. So there is that pressure there. So being in the park with you and seeing other people who are queer, and I mean that is in peculiar, not even (laughs) orientation-wise, is is really refreshing. You know, it's nice to not be all white people or girly-looking people in Lululemon clothes, as you would say. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Like, is it a queer group or what makes it different for even, I mean, again, I have so many people out there who are differently abled who would just love to take a yoga class. Mm -hmm. So both putting all of the diversity piece in there, I'd love to hear about the queerness of your class. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm a big old queer. I have been since I was 14. I am butch, uh, MOC, however you want to describe that. I am very much somebody who, when you look at me, I am not at all what you would expect to see. I'm not a typical yoga body um, or yoga look. And, you know, like I said, I went through many, many years back in the day when yoga wasn't quite so popular where I was this weirdo in class. So I know what that feels like and it does not feel good. So I never set out to be a yoga teacher because in my mind, I did not look like a yoga teacher. And then it was actually my teacher who I was taking the teacher training from. She looked me up and down. She said, you need to be a teacher. I said, no, 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 I don't. Actually, it's not what I'm doing. She said, no, no, you need to be a yoga teacher. You need to get in front of people because people need to see something different. And so I sort of became the accidental yoga teacher. But the fact that I am queer, the fact that I obviously look queer, the fact that I am covered in tattoos and you know, uh, MOC and, you know, coming from a place where I am white as well, you know, so it's like, I don't, nobody is going to create an environment that is feel safe and encouraging to everybody because what feels safe to some is not to others. And so again, the best I can do is create a space where using language, using, you know, intention, people can come and find what they need. It's very, very important, I think, that I'm queer, and it's very important that I I never really call... I mean, I've done and do teach queer classes. We've done butch women classes. We've done queer women retreats, certainly. But when I do generally teach, especially my Zoom class on Wednesday, it's not queer only. I would always like to say it's queer and allies. The park is queer and allies because I don't ever want to create an environment where we, I, queer people, don't feel welcome. But it's extremely important to create these spaces because we do not see ourselves reflected. I really want to celebrate the queer body. I want to celebrate, you know, queerness and queer community. And it is fascinating to me to see what happens and what the difference is. Because I've subbed classes for other teachers in the, you know, who, who are straight teachers in the community. And I've subbed classes where predominantly their class is all straight. And it's really interesting, the difference, the, it's tangible, the atmosphere of, well, I don't even know what the word is, but when I teach queer community or, or queer and allies, there's so much, there's so much permission, there's so much 
radical, like whatever, you know, I'm going to do this with my body and so much sort of acceptance of one another and, and just lying next to each other and saying hi. I mean, it's, it's, it's beautiful to watch the support because that's what we do in queer community. It's what we've always done. It's what we've had to do. And so when you come into a class, mostly full of queer bodies, that continues in the practice. And I encourage, it. I fully encourage it. So again, I can't say that I am going to create a space that feels safe for everyone, not at all. It's my intention. But people, you know, one of my co-teachers who I teach in the park with, Rochelle, she's um, a queer black butch woman. And, you know, I think the combination of the two of us you know, we work really well together. We have for years and she's also one of my best friends. And so there's a collaboration that where we do, you know, teach, I think, classes that people feel welcomed into and feel welcome to do uh, what they need to do with their beautiful bodies. I really appreciate that. It's so needed in our community to have a place that feels safe and welcoming and one of the questions I ask everybody, so this is a good segue, is how how are you a bridge as a white, able-bodied, masculine of center human? How how are you a bridge for people to feel safe coming to your space? How do you do that? Yeah, I mean that is that is the question, isn't it? I think that, like I said earlier, deferring to anyone is the expert of their experience. I'm never assuming mm-hmm. that I know it. You know, I know what's needed. I think that everybody again, it comes back to this permission thing. And I I don't mean to keep repeating myself, but it really is. It's just like, how do I, how can I assist someone in, in, in sort of finding a practice that really drops them into their understanding of what's happening for them right now as part of their self-discovery. It's not like, oh, I'm going to do this for you. Or, you know, like I, I've got the means to sort of, no, it's, it's really about, it's, it's sort of like you, it's just like a holding space. I mean, I feel like and it's really, it's really noticeable in the park because, you know, you've got the park in the middle of Oakland, lots of things going on, lots of people around. And then, but where we do the yoga is on this beautiful patch of grass where it's usually pretty quiet, but occasionally, you know, people would be down in certain poses or in Shavasana. And, you know, there's a, there's a couple of people, especially about a month ago, there was a, there was a guy who was having his own experience of life, shall we say, and he was talking to himself, but he was getting kind of aggressive in his movements. And I literally sort of held the edge of the circle in a way that I just created a safety for people to feel that someone had it. Someone has that holding that circle and that safety while people can drop into their own experience. So I think it's being an ally. Mm -hmm. I think it's being someone who is not going to make assumptions about what anybody needs. I barely know what I need most of the time. So, you know, <laughs> I would like to think that I'm a bridge, but I think even saying that from my own white perspective is can be a sort of little egocentric because I have no idea if that is people's experience, but it is my intention to create a pathway to a practice for people um, and then them to find that. I guide poses, so there's a framework you know, I mean, otherwise it wouldn't really be a yoga class. There is a framework of postures and poses that becomes familiar after people practice. And in that framework, there's so much choice that people can make. So I hold the framework. um, I move it forward. And I think and hope that there is permission for people to make all the choices they need in any given moment of that class. 
Well, I would like to push the envelope on this just a little bit sure. because I do get your newsletter as well. Mm-hmm. And your newsletter seems to have a very specific bent to it. Like you are supporting social justice movements. Yes. Yes. I mean, the <laughs> the newsletter has become a thing on its own. It is incredible. And I have to give pretty much all the praise to my partner, Amanda, because she creates those newsletters. I mean, I definitely, it's a collaboration. Um, we look at themes. She asks for words, you know, that I might be working with for the practice. We find organizations and people to highlight and to support how to raise money. We offer people ways to, you know, show support for for all kinds of social activism or projects or people that are in need of that. And I think that, again, it's that same thing about offering and showing and laying it down in a way that people can make choices. I have a lot of my students are very socially aware and socially active and doing all kinds of things. So again, you know, oh, here's this, you know, organization you might want to know about, but there are a lot of people that want to be and are white allies, but they're like looking for what is, what is a, you know, and so the newsletter pulls all that together in a way of here's the practice, here's the information, here's what we're working this with this week. Here's, people who are needing support right now. Here's an organization you can support. It's been checked out. We've checked it out. And so I think the newsletter is its own thing. And it's a vehicle for a lot of information for people to support what's in their heart, you know, what's in their heart. Thank you for, you know, just adding on to that, because I was curious. I always like to ask people for a practice for our people listening. Mm -hmm. Do you have a practice that you'd be willing to share with us? You know, (laughs) Again, it's it's so interesting because whatever practice might work today doesn't always work. But one of the things that I always say to people, if you were to take one one thing that you could practice every day from wherever you're starting is a sort of legs up the wall or, you know, it doesn't even have to be that sort of dramatic of a sort of thing if, if, you're, if your body's not feeling it, but even just laying down and putting maybe a pillow under your hips, just getting your hips and your legs elevated. Um, calming the nervous system, recirculating blood and energy, and just, you know, having some music on that you love or just doing it in silence, being able to close your eyes gently, remove your glasses if you wear glasses, make sure that it's a space and a spot um, and a time that you will not be disturbed or you're not going to have, you know, a kid or a dog run over you or somebody come in the door. Yeah, get your hips a little higher than your heart, get your legs up the wall if you can, or on a chair, you know, um, bent over a chair, and just let yourself release, soften the edges of whatever it is, you know, you might've been working with through the day. Great. And how long do I do that for? Well, you can do it for as long as you want. 10 minutes is really beneficial. I mean, people do it for longer, 20 minutes. You know, some people nod off to sleep a little bit. So there's no harm to doing it at all, you know, especially if it's in more of the modified position. You know, it's, it's a beautiful thing to do at the end of the day, if you have the space and the time to do it before you go to bed, uh, to relax a lot of things. And then I had a teacher once that said, if you do nothing else, just bend over every day, like Uttanasana, forward fold, you know, touching a chair or the floor or blocks, um, which was a bit of a trick because if you have a sense of yoga practice for yourself and you get up and you do an Uttanasana, you're probably going to go into a downward facing dog. You're going to do something else. So it's a sort of gateway into, but it is also, you know, the alternative is just to sort of stand and, and bend over, touch your toes, bend your knees, wriggle your hips a little bit, just sort of turn yourself upside down a little bit, you know, because the world is upside down. And part of the, <laughs> part of the practice is finding how, where, is, where do I stand in this? 
like literally physically turning your body upside down. It it's it's a practice of how do I find my feet? How do I find my footing? So always there's the physical benefits, but there's also this whole mental, spiritual sense of well-being that we can practice in a very turned upside down world. Thank you. I think that's an awesome practice. I would love to ask you about, you know, how people can find you and all of that, but also once again for my listeners who are um just getting into physical practices after being homebound forever or who are differently abled, mm-hmm. do you have resources, any recordings from from your um, Zoom practices or anything like that? And then also, how can they find you for your Zoom practices? Mm-hmm. And if they're local to the Bay Area, you know, the park, et cetera. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, my email, skitayoga at gmail.com. If people send me an email, we'll put them on the mailing list for the newsletter, which comes out once a week, and we don't do more than that. And it's, a, I think, a very lovely email, interesting, powerful email, uh, excuse me, newsletter that people can sort of get on the mailing list for if that's of interest. It tells you about the classes, the Zoom. It gives the Zoom link. It also tells you the date of when we have yoga in the park if you're local. The next one is coming up on, um, I believe it's next Saturday, the 9th. I have not because I'm not this person, you know, I'm not a, a sort of good at marketing a lot. So I haven't done recordings. I'm not, I don't have a YouTube channel, but I have had people record my classes or record, you know, when they're doing the Zoom Wednesday and then they keep it. And that's perfectly wonderful. I love it. I have no problem with that. But it's every Wednesday night. We practice um, 6 to 7.15. And that is, you know, sort of, was that Pacific time? Where are we? Yes. That is Pacific time, yeah. Pacific time. That's every Wednesday night. And then the, the practice in the park is once a month. Like I said, it's coming up on the 9th. Also, if I can just plug for a moment, I am part of a really incredible queer team that we have a day long at Spirit Rock on the 30th of April. Again, people can join by Zoom or they can come up to Spirit Rock. And that is going to be information about that is going to be in this week's newsletter. So again, not everybody knows what Spirit Rock is and what what is the day long in, day long of. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So Spirit Rock is a place in California that's a beautiful, it's a Buddhist center. Uh, It's got, you know, the practices are Buddhist based. And I do the teaching part for a queer trans team that are um, doing a, a day long practice. So there's meditation, there's conversation, there's the physical practice is very much geared towards soft, gentle, accessible practice. You know, it's a great team who teach. And so if people are interested in trying that out, checking it out, or if they know Spirit Rock and they want to do that, it is on the 30th of April. It's on the Spirit Rock website if people want to check that out. Or if you are part of the newsletter or want to be, let let us know so we can get that information to you. Thank you for that. Um, Just because this will be going on for past those dates, any other ways that they can resource you? Yeah, I'm not really, like I said, (laughs) I'm not very good at the whole, you know, social media marketing. It's not not my thing. I do have a Facebook page, Skeeter Barker Yoga. I do have an Instagram, Skeeter Barker Yoga, Skeeter Yoga. And I'm saying it like that question mark, question mark, because again, I have had beautiful beloveds who put these things up for me. Um, I don't really do it myself, but I check it. I look at it. We answer questions. We put up photographs. We, you know, we, we sort of engage on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, it's either Skeeter Yoga or Skeeter Barker Yoga. 
Great. I so appreciate you being on it. I think yoga really needs to get demystified. And I appreciate what you're doing for the queer community so that all bodies are welcome. It's not often that people can feel safe and invited. So I so appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to the Queer Body Podcast, where we are redefining the edges of queer identity and healing. For more information about Dr. Laura Polak or our podcast, check out our website, communityholistichealth.com. Thank you for listening.